0: We need to remove that sense that STEM belongs only in the boardroom, it belongs only in conferences, No, on. STEM is such a huge part of people's lives. You know, any person who uses a smartphone is benefiting from the work of scientists. Science is something that people should not be afraid of, and they should not also be afraid to question at the same time. It's that level of questioning and curiosity that we always welcome
1: Food scientists and technologists are responsible for the safe development and manufacturing of our food products and their processes. And thanks to them, they've also helped improve the food that we continue to consume today from its quality, the safe consumption, preservation, also making these items more affordable for all Filipinos. Today, we invited Anna Tongko, a food scientist and currently the product development team lead at Universal Robiner Corporation. Hi again. Anna, maybe you'd like to introduce yourself so you can walk us through your career journey in the field, also some highlights and milestones in your path.
0: Sure. Hi. So, hi, my name is Anna, and thank you for having me on uh, on this podcast. So I'm 30 years old, and I am a food scientist and a product developer. So my introduction to food science was actually, you know, when I was younger, I would watch a lot of those How It's Made kind of uh, shows on National Geographic or in Lifestyle Network, all of those things. So I knew that I really wanted to be involved in material sciences. And it just so happened that food was the one that I chose to specialize in, probably because I think it's the most intimate of materials that we've worked with. So I took food technology as my degree in college. and. I guess my first, the first start of my career journey there was actually before I even graduated because I had an internship focusing on the manufacturing of infant formula. Which is a lot harder than it sounds because you are work, you're, you're working with consumers who actually have no, you know, their immune systems aren't developed yet. So all of the things that you have to think about in terms of food safety and quality, it's to a whole other level because you're dealing with infants. After graduating, uh, before actually entering work, I explored working in research first chiefly through getting my thesis published. So my advisor and I worked together to, you know, make the thesis into something that could be good enough for publication in international journals, because I think we're far past that time where the thesis, you know, output of students will just stay in the library. For sure, they're going to be used. There's going to be applications for that. So I got my thesis published. I presented it in some conferences, including one in Portland, Oregon, for the International Association of Food Protection. And then after that, because I was already considering if I wanted to teach, because I've always wanted to teach. But I figured if I went and thought then, I wouldn't really have anything new to bring to my students apart from what I learned from, from school and maybe a little bit of what I learned from research. So I figured I should you know, go and work in the industry so I could bring a richer experience to my students in the future. So I entered the corporate world through a packaged food manufacturing company. And it works in multiple consumer goods. Snacks, bakery, confectionery, beverages, noodles, those things. And my work there in the R&D department, so research and dev, has pretty much been all around. Technology management. So I was exposed to uh, all of the concerns in terms of product development, packaging, lab analysis, regulations. I did a stint in exports management. So taking into account not just what you're able to produce here in the Philippines, but how do you make it exportable to countries around the world and then even management of information assets because all of the things that we're working with there's information and there's technology and confidential uh, material being built there so how do you protect that and then now my focus is really more on product development and design.
1: Thanks Anna for sharing I guess like even though the field food science it- it's, it feels it seems very specific, but based on your journey, you can get into so many different areas and you also get to build on your expertise in those different areas, right? So I guess for someone who's also not in the field, or I guess relatively, I see it as something as... as the, it's still a new field for me. Maybe you can also... Can you describe what food science and technology is in maybe like one or two sentences?
0: Okay, there's, so there's a word limit, right? Okay. Yeah, so, okay. If you can. It's a multidisciplinary field, but it's focused on the nature and the application of food. So it covers all of the sciences and processes involved in what we call farm to fork. So from production and agriculture, all the way to logistics, uh, sending that material into a processing plant, the actual processing itself and the supply chain that comes with it all the way down to consumption when it reaches the consumer. And this is the part where it starts to overlap a little bit with nutrition. So I say multidisciplinary because you have to have those disciplines present in food science and technology, things like chemistry, biology, engineering, even sensory analysis, quality, and even recent developments in what they call foodomics or omics, which is the application of data to support food science principles. So it's a lot more than just cooking. Yes. Sure. Uh, it's great that you know I get the taste for a living. Uh, that's I guess it's part of the job, but it's definitely more than just cooking. And for people who think that food scientists or food technologists just cook. Luto, luto, ila, lang yan, that was apparently wasted on me because I really can't cook very well on my own. If you ask me to develop a product and put it on yeah. a large scale, no problem. But if it's in my own kitchen, I'm lost.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess that that's a common misconception also that we have to break no? Like food scientists or technologists aren't necessarily like chefs. That's completely different also because that's a whole different field altogether. So in line with that, maybe you can also talk more about the role of food scientists in the Philippines. Like, What what makes their role so important, especially these days?
0: Sure. So there are multiple roles, like you said, that food scientists can hold here in the Philippines. So I guess the first one that would come to mind would be the research and academe. So they're really the ones that are dedicated to looking for new technologies, as well as improving our existing technologies and knowledge of the science and application of food. And importantly, education, making sure that there are a steady supply of food scientists in the country who will continue to strengthen the discipline. And food scientists also have a role in the industry itself. So they, you know, this is probably the one that gets seen the most by uh, in terms of what people think food scientists do in terms of responding to new consumer needs and trends. Because I guess that's the other great thing about food science and being part of this field. You're never really going to run out of a job because people always need to eat. You know, even in the middle of all of these changes in the world today, I don't think there will ever be a time that people will not eat anymore. It's a basic need. And more than that, it's something that is part of the human experience. So being able to respond to that human experience and establishing best practices in that That's the work of food scientists in the industry. And then there's also roles for food scientists in regulatory and governance. So in terms of crafting food laws to make sure that our products are safe, conducting audits and quality monitoring to make sure that food companies are developing and delivering products to our consumers that are safe and healthy. And even, I guess, in the sense of nation building, because We're able to produce products that can benefit Filipinos, whether it's in creating hardier rice or even in making ready-to-eat products that would benefit people in the event of natural disasters. These are things that can help even on a government or on a countrywide setting. So those are, and that's I guess like in the roles portion of food scientists, but in terms of what we can do, there's a lot from product to packaging to process uh, to ingredients. There's a lot to play with.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you shed light on these different kinds of paths in the field of food science. So with everything, I guess, going on in the field also, maybe can you share also what's been keeping you busy these days in your in your work? Wow, that, that, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. a lot. A lot of things are keeping you busy. Yeah,
0: I guess one thing is the pandemic really changed the way that consumers buy and interact with products. In the first half of it, because people were in lockdown, a lot of them, unfortunately, lost their main source of income or their source of income really shrunk. They had to adjust in terms of what to buy and what they considered uh, was necessary in their shopping basket. So we in the industry had to make sure that we were offering the best value for money. And then eventually now, as people are starting to recover their purchasing power, Of course, they're still looking for things that will make them happy, you know, and food is just one of those things, you know, know, food is, food is a joy. I always think of it like that. So we want to make sure that the products we give them are also delivering on that need for them to have a sort of escape or, you know, a moment to relax. So that involves looking for new flavors, new, you know, textures, new smells, new experiences for them to help them feel a little better over all of these things that they're experiencing. And I guess the other half of that is now that we're in the middle of a pandemic, the attention to health and wellness has never been greater. More consumers are now very conscious of what they're putting into their bodies and the level of how they can support their, their level of immunity. And that's a call to the food industry as well to provide foods that give them that benefit. And then, as well as regulatory bodies, to make sure that they're delivering and they're evaluating that these products are able to give those benefits to their consumers because they're very conscious about it now. They want to see on the label what is going into their bodies so responding to all of those um changes in the consumer as well as in the environment you know even the rise of digital shopping and all of that those have made uh the way that we transport and prepare food also very different
1: that's so true like i think the pandemic really has changed a lot in in many different fields in the in the sciences i guess mostly on food security, also health and wellness and safety. And there's a lot of things that I'm sure that you have to consider, that your company, your organization has to consider before sending out all these products and food for the consumers. So I guess in line with your work, can you tell us more about the R&D or the research and development behind these food formulations and processes? I guess especially in this pandemic, like has anything changed? What are the necessary precautions or steps that you have to take now? Sure. Um, I
0: can't really speak for all food uh, manufacturing or food uh, food technology companies. So I guess each company will have their own approach. But I think all food scientists, or at least those in the industry, we tend to keep three things in mind. At the very least, this is what I always do double checks on. So first is the consumer, second is the ecosystem or the law, and third is the business. So we make sure those three are always addressed at every step of the research and development process. So my job as a product developer, it's really starting from the beginning, uh, starting with what consumers want and need, what motivates them, not just in terms of buying food, but just their experiences in general. And usually when we learn about consumer experiences, we are able to find ways to address food-related needs that they have there, even if they're not able to tell us at the time. Because generally, when you talk to consumers, they may not actually be able to tell you outright what they want. They may not be able to articulate it or they can't describe it very well. But if you give them the opportunity to talk about their day, talk about the highs and low points, you'll eventually see like ideas for, for products to kind of make those highs even higher and to take them out of those lows. So once we have uh, those ideas and we kind of assess to see if, one, is it possible to run with the facilities that we have to, is it in line with the company's strategy? And actually, this is not an order, by the way. These are just like some of the checklists, (laughs) like, of course, making sure that it's compliant to regulations or if there are opportunities for us to deliver uh, added benefits. Once we've uh, passed all of those checks, we go into making laboratory prototypes, just small scale versions of the product, see if it's feasible. And that was probably the one that changed a lot during the pandemic because for the first part of it, we really couldn't go to the labs. Or if we did, we would have to stay there for a longer period of time because we didn't want to keep moving back and forth and possibly carrying the virus or any possible exposure. So that was something that had to change during the pandemic. We had to be creative in how we could develop products from home almost. And I guess that was one one of the other advantages of being in a multinational company that because we did have laboratories and plants in other countries. For the countries that were dealing with the pandemic better at the time, we would coordinate to them, hey, can you test this out for us, see if this works because we can't go to the labs today, that kind of thing. So that was a new way of working that we had to learn. But the, the principle is the same, that you have to see first if you can make it on a small scale. And if you can make it taste good on a small scale, we can sometimes check with our consumers, work with them, have them taste it, see if they like it. And then it's, it's very much a cycle because we like to learn a lot from what our consumers say and how they respond to these products. And once we think we've got that right mix in terms of the product, the packaging, the price, all of those things, we go into scaling up, which is now producing it on a large scale uh, in, our, in our manufacturing lines. And this is now a question of making sure that it runs properly, that the equipment is suited for that product and vice versa and that we're running it efficiently because you don't want a wasteful process and if it passes all of those checks and we all are also able to register it with the food and drug administration to get permission to sell then we launch the product in the market and evaluate maybe three to six months after if it's doing as well as we hoped. uh, what's the consumer feedback social listening are they talking about the product all of those things and it's a different uh, journey each time. I don't think I've ever had a product development project progress the exact same way as another. Because there's always different challenges and different consumer needs to be met.
1: Definitely. Yeah, so ang dami pa lang processes na that you really have to <laughs> consider and go through. Like I, I honestly wasn't aware. Maybe like other people in the field, they're, they're already familiar with this. But then I guess as a consumer myself, it's really interesting to see and hear the process of, of how you, like people in R&D, develop these products and the food. And yeah. I guess...
0: Just, I'll just to ahead. take note, by the way, the process I described is very bird's eye view and probably focusing on the product dev side. For sure, there's more going on in terms of ensuring product quality and managing the logistics to make sure it reaches our consumers, even sourcing and preparing the equipment to produce those products. We work very closely with those functions as well. I can't describe them as well as my colleagues can probably, but all of that comes comes together so that those products make it to the stores and make it to consumers.
1: Was it a big adjustment for you when we were starting out in the field to, I guess, know all these processes, know how to do this, how to do that, and of course coordinating, I'm sure, with different departments in the company. So how did you also manage that?
0: I think it was... At first, uh, for sure, because it was my first job, technically, uh, when I went into corporate and started working in product dev. There was an adjustment because I think the assumption for people outside the field is that product developers are just in their labs, you know? Uh, we receive we receive information, we create a recipe out of it, we make it in the labs and then we hand it over. And that's not really the case. Um, R&D is very much involved in talking to consumers, uh, very much involved in making sure that manufacturing lines and even the design of plants are, according to standard, are working efficiently. So having to understand all of those disciplines was a challenge at first, but it helps to have first a willingness to learn. um, Really the acceptance that I did not throw away my textbooks from college because I would still periodically come back to them. I had to especially when you're developing new products and suddenly there's a new technology that you're like thinking, okay, I remember reading about this back in third year college, but I don't remember the techni- the techniques anymore. I have to go back and check. <laughs> you know. So, so that's, that's that was necessary. So a willingness to learn and kind of re- acknowledge that, hey, I need to study more on this and really coordinating with other experts in the field. So if it was a question of manufacturing, we wanted to do a new line, then we would talk very closely with our engineers and our manufacturing group to make sure that we were on the same page, really. And even if it's something that's a very new technology or we're testing something that would work for a specific group, let's say for diabetics or for those with hypertension, we would consult even with experts like nutritionists and doctors to make sure that we were on the right path. So there's a lot of conversations that have to happen to make a product launch succeed. And I guess the key point there is that we we keep those communication lines open. Working in silos never works for anybody when it comes to a project like this.
1: <laughs> I guess a message to all students is to never throw away your textbooks because they're honestly really <laughs> helpful. Like I think I myself I still keep all my readings, my PDF files on all these things just to look back to. And it's great that, you know, like you never gave up and you also had that motivation and like what you said, the willingness to keep learning. Because I guess if you're in the field of STEM in general, it's also it's also a lot of trial and error, like you, you are going to make mistakes. You're not going to get things immediately. So it's really important that you have the courage and motivation also to get back on your feet. So I also want to ask, did you have any, I guess one would be, did you have any role models growing up? Like maybe did anyone inspire you to take up food science and tech? And also, are there a lot of women in the field also in food science?
0: Okay, role models, I'm not sure because in general, growing up, I had always wanted to be a scientist, probably for like the shallowest of reasons when I was a kid. I always just figured that, you know, if you're wearing a lab coat, cool. (laughs) I had a very misguided understanding of what cool meant, apparently. But I I just knew that I wanted to be in science. And I guess I would look at the traditional scientists, so to speak, as, as my role models, because of course, those were the ones that we would be exposed to at first. So the likes of Marie Curie and Nikola Tesla, yes. those people who, I guess the other common theme of them is that they were people who were initially not seen as people who could be scientists, you know? I mean, the fact that Marie Curie was a woman probably, I mean, it helped that she had a husband who was also involved in science, but I do wonder if her work would have been as acknowledged if if she didn't have that advantage. So I hope, I hope it's different now. For sure, there are a lot of other women in the field who are present. But yeah, in terms of role models, yeah, it was really the classical scientist, especially Nikola Tesla. I I enjoyed reading the story of his life, and I dream of a day that he gets, you know, justice for what happened to him because scientists still often be maligned, (laughs) either from outside the community or even within, unfortunately. And now, I guess, like one of the things that excites me is seeing that there are women in STEM who are in. Fields that I guess some people wouldn't really expect women to be there. I will admit I have heard people comment that it's okay for women to be in food science because it's cooking. I really hate that. Uh, that is oh not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody can be in food science, and it's difficult regardless of regardless of uh, of your gender. But for example, I recently met someone who's an astrophysicist, and she's published over 60 papers about you know what the the early half of the universe after the Big Bang. Really studying, you know, exoplanets and the development of the universe and what we know of the chemistry and biology that happened in those early parts of our universe. And she's also a really cool lady who, like, you know, on the side, you know, plans, you know, science fiction conventions. You know, so I guess if we're talking about who my role model is right now, uh, that would be her. If you'd like to look her up, her name is Dr. Rachel Livermore. She's based in the UK. and She's an absolutely fantastic lady and a really great scientist. <laughs> So not necessarily in food science, but just in STEM in
1: general. I think there's also in the field of STEM, we have to break a lot of the, we have to break a lot of those stereotypes. A certain field is just it's just for men, it's just for women. But then all fields are open to all kinds of genders. Like I guess what you were saying about food science that it's for women because there's a notion <laughs> that quote unquote women belong in the kitchen. So it's an old saying, but then I think it besides breaking these stereotypes, it's also encouraging more people to explore the, these fields. Um, in a research, we have a youth in STEM research that we found out that a lot of women end up in the fields of medicine because they only see themselves as doctors and nurses. And although it's not entirely bad, it's, it's not bad at all, but then it limiting that kind of perspective for them on like what other careers they can enter, like if it's food science or not, it's it's just parang sayang den you know, like women have so much potential in different fields. And I hope that and I'm glad that at least us, we kind of encourage this, um we kind of motivate women also to explore, to discover their strengths. And it's good that you I'm sure you yourself are a role model, especially you know, once we release this podcast, you're going to be a role model also to to many girls, to many young girls especially filipinas i'm very i'm very sure of that i'm super positive and i'm sure in your workplace you have inspired more people as well so
0: i need to check um, that with my team then most of the time (laughs) you
1: know i'm sure i'm I'm really sure with everything you've been sharing so far like the work you do i'm sure you've also inspired so many people like whether it's been food science or just i guess in your life in general so yeah i guess the other thing that
0: I'd like to highlight is perhaps the other reason that I was so driven to pursue STEM is that during my education I I had the blessing to have a lot of very good teachers in, yes. in, STEM, in STEM subjects who were very encouraging mm-hmm. and you know always allowed us to ask those kinds of questions, never made it feel like that STEM was something that was boring or, you know, difficult. I mean, with all honesty, I failed math a lot in high school and college. I struggled in math and it's an integral part of any STEM uh, subject, but thankfully I had very patient math teachers and engineering teachers who kind of helped me to see that these numbers are going to have an application elsewhere. You're going to see this make something bigger when you're already applying it to food. And true enough, they were right. And I'm so glad that they pushed me to continue doing that. And I guess the other point that I want to make is apart from gender, but the notion now that science should feel, or the STEM should feel, open regardless of background or of experience because (laughs) I am honestly always so excited when I hear of young people, you know, 17, 18, even like 12 or 13 year olds making scientific discoveries and actually bringing it to the greater scientific community. We're really no longer in those days where you have to have a PhD to contribute to the scientific field. I mean, thankfully, thankfully, yes, we do have those systems in place to make sure that it's reviewed properly and that the field is kept alive but we shouldn't use it to gatekeep either okay I mean one of my favorite not really recent discoveries from a young person was someone who found a way to make a biodegradable and soluble packaging for shampoo sachets because I'm sure you see that we use a lot of sachets for shampoo but we throw away the wrapper it ends up in the ocean all of those things so someone came up with a way to still have it in a packaging that could still contain that shampoo, keep it from spilling everywhere, but then you could dissolve it at once you needed to use it. It was biodegradable and it totally reduced the waste problem. And this was someone who was, I think, 17 years old when they tested this. wow so <laughs> things like that are super, super encouraging. So I do hope that more educators and more organizations would support people when they get into STEM rather than telling them, oh no, you need to have this degree or this uh, yes. postdoc or whatever to get into it.
1: That that's very true. I think made a lot of great points, especially on how we can better empower the youth. Um I think I I guess it's a common it's a it's a it's really a culture here in the Philippines that smart shaming also or if you're in STEM you have to be good at you you have to be really, really good in science and math. And I've been hearing a lot of stories, whether it be through this podcast or when we, when we produce or write articles here in, in the program. A lot of them have been saying they weren't the best in their STEM and math classes. And I mean, their science and math classes. And, you know, like it, it really helps to be encouraged by their peers, by their parents, by their teachers. For example, if you fail a quiz, you shouldn't automatically give up and say that, oh, I'm not, I'm not good at this. And it's just, it's just having people around you telling you, you, don't have to be the best, but you know, you just have to keep trying and trying until, you know, if, if you get it right or if you see it more as a learning process. I think that's what we have to highlight more when it comes to studying STEM or being in STEM. So thank you, Anna, for sharing. I think a lot of students will resonate with that as well. I myself also, I really I really agree with that. I don't, you don't have to be the best at everything. I think what matters is that you're always motivated and like what you mentioned, you always have that willingness to learn. So I guess going back also related to food science, like I, I am personally curious as, as a consumer, I also want to know like how do how do food scientists ensure the safety of food, like determining expiration dates and storage? Because, you know, as someone who also consumes these foods, like for example, if there's yogurt, they expire so fast or or things like that. So maybe you can also explain that to us. Okay, I
0: will try to do it without going way, way in because food safety in particular is something that I am very passionate about. It is what I am pursuing my master's degree in, in particular. So food safety will cover everything from handling, preparation, and storage. And it's really just a matter of risk management. I guess that's the simplest way that I can define it because keeping food safe and protected, there are actually four tenets that we look at in terms of what could go wrong in food so to speak or like what what are the disciplines that we have to take care of so under food protection you've got food quality which makes sure that the product is produced consistently because you don't you want to protect your product against unintentional economic gain meaning if you would, if unintentionally had an issue with your process that led to your product having less of this less of the product in the packaging or less of this material and therefore delivering less value Food quality is there to check if you are producing it consistently and according to established product standards. Because as I'm sure we learned from the melamine milk scandal in China some years back, there is now, it is because of that scandal, there is now a set definition for how we test for protein levels in milk. There is now a standard for what defines something as milk versus a milk product. Because we want to give to consumers what, you know, they should get what they're paying for. And they should get it safely. So, food quality looks after that. Another discipline is food fraud, which now looks at intentional economic gain. And this is a little bit like the melamine scandal as well, that because they wanted to unintend to show higher nitrogen and protein levels in the milk than there actually was, they were adding in ingredients intentionally to bump up that number. And that's not only for economic gain, but it actually caused harm to public health. And that leads to the third one, which is food safety, where you're looking at preventing unintentional harm to public health, because food, by its very nature, it is not going to last forever. We can do our best to prevent it from spoiling so quickly. We can protect it in packaging by putting ingredients that prevent microorganisms or bacteria from growing in it too quickly. But there's only so much we can do. So food safety is there to make sure that it's handled properly that it is packed safely. So note uh, all of those tamper-proof seals, all of those technologies come in here. And then lastly, this one is a relatively young discipline, but it's growing in relevance all the more. The last part of food protection is what's called food defense, which is protecting against intentional harm to public health. So I I don't want to fear monger among the listeners, but this is something that people have realized that food can actually be used as a weapon. Because this is, again, something that people will never stop consuming. So if you really want a really quick way to disable a city, but you don't have pumps, poison their water supply. Make sure that pests get into their rice granaries. You will disable that city way faster than setting up and trying to sneak in a bomb. I just realized now how very controversial I sounded saying that I am not recommending this. I am just saying that this is now something that we, we as food scientists, are now also thinking about that ter- terrorism is no longer limited to just you know typical wars and battlefields. This is now happening with consumers at the front line at risk. So scientists are also making sure that we can protect against those kinds of threats. So in terms of how we ensure the safety of food, it's really looking at every component of your food ecosystem. Where is it being produced? Is it being produced in a safe place? Are the ingredients of good quality? And are they present at the right levels? Because certain ingredients in moderation will be good for you, but if you go too high, it's going to be toxic. Even things like vitamins and minerals, which we typically hear and think it's good for us, if we go past a certain level, it gets to a point where it actually becomes toxic. So we monitor those levels as well. The entire supply chain you know, Because now that we are in a very global supply chain, ingredients for our products can come from all over the world before being manufactured. There's a question now of checking traceability. Do we know where these products or these materials are coming from? How fresh are they? What is the condition that they left the other plant before coming to our plant? All of those things. And for example, in what you mentioned about expiration dates and storage, we do have tools and technologies to help us test for those things. Like what we call accelerated shelf life. Because if you're going to wait for a product to spoil, for a lot of other products that are made of hardier stuff, that's going to take you, what, two years? I don't know if, if you have time to really do all of that. Previously, that was how it was done. But now we have technologies that allow us to, you know, adjust the temperature and humidity, and even like transport conditions, mimic transport conditions, to see how products would react under you know this kind of stress and then we can apply algorithms uh, mathematical equations to check how this would look over the long term so it's something like we can test a product for a week and from that determine how it would respond if we had tested it for a month so at least you're able to do it faster get that information and adjust accordingly in a much faster way so I hope okay I had six minutes to explain that. It might have been too
1: much. No, that's good. That's okay. It's really, I can really see your passion in not just food science, but I guess specifically in food safety. And it's great (laughs) that you're also, you really try to ensure that whatever you produce is also safe. It's consumable for the consumers. And I feel like that's something that if, if ever of a young student wants to get into the field, I think it's important to highlight that, like how it really benefits society, how you're able to improve the lives also of Filipinos. And my guess in line with that, how does food science or I guess food safety benefit Filipinos and the food supply, like making it just maybe more affordable or more nutritious for other Filipinos?
0: There's a lot that can be done for sure. And it's both a privilege and a responsibility to have a role in that. Because I guess coming back from what you had said earlier as to what people think about when they eat food, I guess that's the thing. You have to understand that as a food scientist, you are holding a large amount of public trust. Because this is food. This is a basic need. It's almost the same as you know people who take care of water or medicine, that when they hand over their hard-earned money, to purchase your food product, there is that expectation already that it's going to be safe, that it's going to be of good quality. I mean, they probably can expect that not all foods will be to their liking in terms of taste, but at the very least, they expect it to be safe. And that is our job. We have to deliver safe and good quality products to them. And of course, we want them to like it, so it should taste good. But in terms of benefiting Filipino food supply, I always like push for this. I really believe that food scientists have a role in nation building because you are literally feeding the generations that will come after you and the technologies that you study and the products that you create are going to strengthen those future generations to do whatever it is that they will now have the potential to do. So there's always that push to develop with nutrition in mind. So. We have had things like that in the past, like in the government's uh, Sankap Tenoy program, because they do monitor what are the nutrient deficiencies that Filipinos have. And this varies from country to country. But here in the Philippines, we do have concerns with vitamin A, with iron, vitamin C. So it's definitely a push for food manufacturers to make sure that their products carry good levels of those nutrients. And even now, we have laws that are supporting this. And I would like to believe that food scientists had a role in creating and pushing for this law. So I can't remember the full RA number and all that, but it's the ASIN law, which is basically what mandates that all products sold use iodized salt. Because especially in the early part of the uh, 80s to 90s, the government is seeing that a large portion of the Philippine population is actually deficient to iodine. And iodine is not necessarily hard to apply in salt. So if we're going to be using salt in your product anyway, might as well make sure it's got iodine. So something as simple as salt, is now helping to manage that deficiency. And I think it's been really helpful because we now have slightly lower levels of iodine deficiency compared to before. And now we're working on things like vitamin A and vitamin B to prevent stunting, malnutrition. So that kind of specific uh, understanding of fortification is one way that we can benefit the Filipino food supply. The other, I guess, is developing products with life stage nutrition in mind. So when I say life stages, it's basically the thinking that the nutritional needs of a four-year-old are definitely going to be different from a 13-year-old, from a 25-year-old, from a 50-year-old, and a 65-year-old. But you are still making food for all of them. okay? Um, for sure, all of them still need to eat regardless of what age they are, but they will have different needs. So you develop your products to make sure that you address those needs. And the, the great thing about studying life-stage nutrition is because if you do your job right, what you feed them at the early stages can affect what they have to eat in the later stages because hopefully by the time they get to the later stage they're not as deficient in those nutrients, their bodies develop correctly and they will no longer need as much support in terms of bone and muscle development, those kinds of things. So that's in the product depth side. Another side is just maximizing and promoting the use of the materials that are inherently abundant in the Philippines. So things like our coconuts, our rice, Corn, bananas, pineapple. I will always be proud of how Filipinos created banana ketchup. I don't care what anyone says. Okay, it's ketchup, and it was made as a response to scarcity of tomatoes. And that's a huge deal of creativity to kind of look outside and think, hmm, we've got bananas. I
1: can. Make I think them. the I think Americans don't even believe it at first, or they refuse <laughs> to like acknowledge that there is such a thing as banana ketchup.
0: Yeah. Up to now, it's still termed as a Philippine condiment. Yeah. But the point is. What I want to highlight there is the ingenuity as well as the scientific rigor that came about. And this was developed by food technologists that, okay, we don't have tomatoes, but there is still a need. Consumers still want to have food that tastes good, and that's what seasonings can help with. And then they found a way to do it with a readily available ingredient. And we still have a lot of banana plantations. We've got uh, a great uh, business with coconuts, with rice. So all the more that we should support them and make sure that they are good quality because this is frankly, an advantage, a resource that the Philippines has that maybe other countries do not. I always find it a little bit surprising and kind of sad that we are, I think, the eighth largest producer of rice in the world, but we are also the tenth largest importer of rice. Because we're now, okay, this is the bit where we're now talking about how we govern our food supply, that even though we do have farmers who are able to produce as much rice, the way that it enters the supply chain and how it is priced and how it reaches people, it also has to be monitored and governed properly. Because why would an agricultural country like ourselves need to import rice? If If we were capable of producing such a thing and why do our farmers have to struggle so much to be able to sell what they are growing in our own country? So, maximizing those materials that we already have and protecting the interests of those who create them and really supporting Filipinos from farmer level all the way to production level can really benefit the food supply as a whole. And at the same way, we don't have to be limited to the ones that we previously specialized in, you know? I mean, everybody's known for a long time that Philippine pineapples are delicious. We've got great mangoes and lots and lots of coconuts. But we're also We've also got really good cocoa plantations. We can make really good chocolate. What is stopping us from pushing and developing Filipino cocoa to become chocolate that's as good as what people think of the Swiss and Belgian chocolate industries, right? We have that advantage that it grows naturally in some of our islands. And what about coffee? We used to produce a lot of it, and we're one of the few countries that have all four varieties of coffee present in our country. So why are we not as well known as Brazil or other countries that make coffee when we can very much do it? And I personally believe that it's the amount of scientific investment and understanding and public awareness that could really help these industries um, come up and really be present on the world stage. Yes, I am very
1: emphatic about this. Yeah, it's really, it, it, that's that's got good. good stuff. We have yeah. really good stuff
0: here in our country and we just really need to push and protect it and develop it, you know, invest in its research and its development to really make it the best that it can be. Cause I've tasted the chocolate from Davao and it is absolutely delicious. It's a really rich, dark chocolate taste. I prefer it over Swiss chocolates, if I may be frank. Davao chocolate is delicious. <laughs>
1: So. That's true, same. I, I, I really I really prefer it more than I guess the chocolates from abroad. And I really like how you highlighted, I guess. I guess going back first to how the Filipino how Filipinos should value food science. It's also going back to how our country is a very it's 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 a very agricultural country. Like we have we have an abundance of resources and food supply also. And I think in line with that also, it's important that as Food scientists, people, we need to build that. I mean, you would need to build that trust also with Filipinos. It's promoting the culture of our food. It's also promoting the importance and science of the food that we consume. Because there's a lot of benefits, I'm sure, on the food, the food that we also consume on a daily basis. And it's good that your role as a food scientist that you also highlight this. You also not just cater to the consumers, but also work in work with the government and ensuring that the processes the safety of food are in place and that will that really greatly helps filipinos and it's good that you also do you work with farmers as well in with this
0: for some of our other businesses there is in terms of the sourcing but for example back when i was still studying and when we were doing a lot of our thesis work, we actually worked very closely with the Department of Science and Technology. And they would actually put us in touch with those kinds of organizations, like the International Rice Research Institute, to support it at the grassroots level, so to speak. And we wanted to make sure, honestly, that the things that we were studying even then and what we continue to research now will eventually find benefits uh, in the Filipino community as well. For example, my thesis, one of my papers covered Salmonella, which is a bacteria that can contaminate eggs and other ingredients. But the one that I highlighted on specifically was how to manage and deactivate it, specifically in coconut products. Because sure, the technology that I studied and eventually developed with my college is one that will work for a lot of food products, for sure. And I've seen seen it cited used for other grains and other ingredients. But I wanted to make sure that the technology that I'm testing and developing will also benefit what my country is currently exporting. So it's also having that level of awareness that, okay, there's a great idea. Is there a way that this idea can actually give back? Highly idealistic view, I know, but (laughs) still hanging on to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I guess in line with this also, like how do you see, I'm sure you have this vision already, being in the field also for quite a long time, I guess. How do you see the future of food science and technology in the Philippines?
0: I think it's a field that's growing and can only continue to grow because as I said, food is a basic need and not just in terms of staying alive. It's not just a survival thing, it's a living a happy life thing also. Because people do not just eat foods, they consume meals and they look for the experiences related to those meals. So for sure this field will continue to grow, but at the same time I think it needs more scientists and I would love that our food scientists would be given those opportunities to pursue really developing those ideas and developing those technologies that can really bring the field of food science to greater heights here in the country. And accordingly, apart from opportunities, also give them the right compensation. Because <laughs> I know there is always that hesitation to go into research or even into any STEM field, unless it's highly corporate, because there is that sense that it's not going to pay well. and. Unfortunately, in a lot of occasions, that is true. I have several friends who are in local academic and research team who have not, I think, seen their salary for the past how many months. It's really hard. So I guess having that supporting network would also be good because we need more scientists in general, uh, not even just in the field of food science and technology, but just in general. Because it's you can kind of see in the way that countries develop, it is often through the push of new technologies or even just technologies that give them a greater advantage and efficiency that allow them to go to that next level of nationwide development and nation building. So scientists are a huge part of that. Why would you not invest in it?
1: <laughs> That's true. I think scientists, I think people have to trust scientists, like not just in food science, but in many different fields in STEM, no? like scientists really provide that insight and and science and evidence based intervention that will greatly benefit Filipinos in many different fields. And I guess related to that, also my last question, why should Filipinos consider a career in food science and tech? And maybe how can we get more students in the field as well?
0: Why should you go into food science and tech? For one, it's delicious. <laughs> that is always yeah. my main come on for people who are interested in food science it's delicious it's a delicious job uh you know being able to taste tasting not the only thing we do but it's a great you know it's a great side uh side effect byproduct as compared to let's say working with you know other materials that you can't taste but yeah so first it's a delicious job it's also a highly exciting and fast-moving field it's never boring Precisely because people will always be highly creative and always want to look for new food experiences. And in the same way that you know people are creative, the universe itself is also creative and will always throw more challenges at us that will need new solutions. So I guess that's one reason why it would be fun to go into here. The other reason is that there is a level of job security, I guess, that comes with food science because it is related to something that is always highly needed. And I think the other thing of, about it is that multiple disciplines can come in this. You could be a chemistry graduate and have a career in food science. You could be a graduate of engineering or mechanics and have it and have work in food science and creating better plants. You can even have a degree in, let's say, consumer insight or information design, which typically would go more into the graphics or the humanities. There is There are things like that in science too, in terms of developing packaging that not just looks good, but also communicates well with the consumer because you are right in saying that yes, it's one thing to get people to invest in STEM and to listen to STEM but I think we as people in STEM also have that responsibility to communicate responsibly because there is also that underlying notion that we're operating on another level or that we speak in a jargon that people cannot understand and therefore we're hiding information from them, which just doesn't have to be the case. There is a way to explain these things. This knowledge does not have to be, you know, kept just in journals or in within the academe. People, you know, the general public, consumers, have to feel that they are part of this and that this is relevant to them. So having people who are experienced in marketing, in information design, in consumer insight, in psychology, are also important in the field of food science. So that's the other reason that I would pitch this particular field to you. I can I'm having difficulty thinking of a field that won't have an application in this. Actually, um, whatever college degree you've got, I'm pretty sure there's something that you can do in the field of food science.
1: <laughs> that's true, and I like how you really emphasize how I guess in terms of science communication, like it like the way you communicate the work you do should just be among you like yourselves just the scientists because i'm sure you guys already know what you're talking about you already know what your work is i think it's time to collaborate with other fields with other people in these different fields and try to explain these jargons and i guess these concepts to the public in an easier way in a more digestible way because I I took up information design and I feel like it's really important to get that kind of information out there and translate it in a way that helps people understand what they consume what they buy what they eat right it's very it's very much relevant in these times and it's good that you you really highlighted the importance of having a diverse set of minds also in the field of food science so there's marketing there's there's you there's the scientists you're also with creatives communicators and I think, it's, I think it's great that we as professionals also in the field have to continue to highlight that if we want more students to be there. So that actually ends my podcast. Those are all my questions at the moment. So I just really want to thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna, and also to other food scientists because you've also continuously helped improve the food that we consume today, especially in this pandemic. I'm sure that it's been, I guess, the process, the... The work that we do has been more, I wouldn't say it, it's been harder, but I guess it's you're more careful now. And I just want to thank you again for not just, again, improving the food that we consume, but also the quality, continuously improving its quality, ensuring safe consumption, preservation, also make, trying to make these food items more affordable. STEM Talks is powered by STEM Plus PH, the flagship program of UNAM Foundation. Make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast as well as our Facebook page, STEMPLUSPH or at STEMPH.ROCKS. You can also follow our Instagram at underscore STEMPH for more updates. Make sure to tag us when you share our episodes and use the hashtags STEMPH, STEMFI, and STEMPHROCK. We can't wait to STEMify the future of the Philippines with you.